how do we help our kids know God personally? How do we help our kids know God personally, or at least try and avoid messing them up too much? The book of Judges forces us to take a sober look at the responsibility of parents to pass on their faith to their children. As we saw in week one of this study, the entire book is X-shaped. X marks the spot. The whole book is pointing us. The bullseye is on a father who fails, who compromises his faith, and a son who then completely rejects it. The whole book leads us to that point. In Judges chapter 2, we read how the people served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua. So one generation arose that served the Lord, but then in the very couple verses later, it says the very next generation, after that, the whole, gen- an- the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The breakdown of society, of God's people, of morality, of kindness, of basic human decency begins with a breakdown between the parent-child relationship, especially the father-child relationship. This is not just a 3,000-year-old truth. This still holds true today. Google it. Psychology Today has a helpful summary of the effects of fatherlessness in which it describes the results as, and I quote, nothing short of disastrous. So in the time of the judges, this conversation about parents and their influence on their kids, it is unavoidable. And in our day, this conversation is unavoidable. So I wanted to take a few minutes today to speak to this sensitive, sometimes painful, often awkward conversation about the responsibility and rights between a parent and a child and passing on the faith. In that day, much like today, God's people lived in a world where the natural pull of all of society was away from God. Everything in their world in the time of the judges undermined faith in God. And that is the image, undermined, slowly, imperceptibly eroding the foundation from underneath their feet so that they never even realized what was happening to them or how they got there. So even the best of parents in the time of the judges, Samuel, He's at the very end of this time. Even the best of parents like Samuel had children who walked away from the faith. So before we move forward and have this all on discussion, I have to say one word about guilt. Mom guilt, dad guilt, parent guilt. Parents, don't give yourself too much credit. Some of the best most sincere, most Jesus-like people I know have children who have no interest in Jesus, none. And parents, don't give yourself too much credit. Some of the worst, most insincere, most ungodly people I know have children who exude the love of Jesus. So while we are called as parents to be faithful and nurturing and protecting a child's faith, at the end of the day, We can plant the seed and we can water it, but only God can give the growth. So, parents, if you failed, join the club. Weep. In the language of the Hebrews, go to Bokim. Repent, confess, apologize to your kids, change what you need to change, and 
Give your guilt to Jesus. According to Colossians chapter 2, he took that offense and he nailed it to the cross. He died for it. He is strong enough to defeat your guilt. You are not. Now your job is to trust him with your failure, to trust him with your kids, to trust him, period. Clinging to guilt will only steal your joy and make it difficult to love your kids. If this is something you struggle with, and I know many of you do, Let me say there are many others in this same camp, walking the same road. I would be happy to connect you. Adult children, I want to address you as well. You should not ignore or overlook the mistakes your parents made. You should not. You need to find a healthy way, a healthy, key word, healthy way to process this for your own emotional and spiritual health. Going back through your past and and admitting the mistakes your parents made in your life is going to be a key part of you becoming whole. But after you've taken a sober look at how your parents messed you up, you need to forgive them. And you need to take personal responsibility for your response moving forward. Again, this might not be easy, but it's easier than living with bitterness. It's easier than letting it hang over your head for the rest of your life. It's easier than stewing in shame or trying to run away or trying to prove something to the world. It's easier than feeling like you have to drink hard liquor every time your parents come for a visit. All this being said, this does not mean that parents don't have a role in nurturing or undermining the faith of their children. They do, we do. And I want to spend a couple moments talking about that. How do we help our kids know God personally? Or at least how do we not mess them up too much? So these opening chapters of the book of Judges closely parallel Deuteronomy 6 through 8. The book of Deuteronomy, you may recall, is Moses' one last sermon to the people of Israel. They they come up, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he says, when you get into the promised land, remember all the things, who the Lord is, all the things he's done for you, and this is how you're to respond. This is what you are to do. And then in Judges chapter 2, 1 and 2, we see that they get into the promised land, and we see how the Israelites go in and promptly do exactly the opposite. Seriously, like point by point, they do exactly the opposite of what Moses tells them to do. More to the point of our topic, though, Deuteronomy chapter 6 specifically addresses how parents should pass on their faith to their children. I wanted to point out three things for today's purposes. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, this is the great creed of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that brings us to our first principle when you're passing on your faith to your kids, and that is you hold nothing back from God. You hold nothing back from God. You give him everything, your heart, your mind, your soul, every bit of your life. When our hearts are divided, when we hold something back, when we love God partially or love God incompletely, our kids pick up on this. So just last week, I was reading um, from Soren Kierkegaard, and there's a passage from one of his journals that just stuck out on this theme. This is Soren Kierkegaard, the, the philosopher. The passage reads like this. The greatest danger for a child where religion is concerned, Christianity, 
is not that his father be an unbeliever, not even his being a hypocrite. No, the danger lies in him being pious and God-fearing and in the child being convinced thereof, but that he should nevertheless notice that deep within there lies a hidden there lies hidden a terrible unrest. The danger is that the child is provoked to draw a conclusion about God, that God is not infinite love. Our lives, our faith, our love help form our kids' picture of God. If the love of God has not sunk into every crevice of our hearts, if there is hidden in us a terrible unrest, if we say we believe God, if we go to church and we live piously, but it's clear that there's something we don't believe about it, our children will be provoked to draw a conclusion about God. It starts with you. Hold nothing back from God. Then in verse 6, Deuteronomy, Moses goes on to say, These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The point is this. Don't just teach it. Live it. Don't just teach it, live it. Immerse your life, your family in this. It isn't just a set of facts you believe. It should shape every bit of your life, everything you do, everything you think, everything you own. It should shape your whole life, how you work and play and eat and speak and consume entertainment and recycle and shop and love your spouse. It should shape everything. And number three, we see in verse 20, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Notice the pronouns. We were slaves. God frees us. This is for a future generation, a generation that was never in Egypt, and yet he says, we were slaves. God set us free that's our final point. Never treat our faith as an impersonal set of beliefs. This is not a story about what God did long ago. This is our story. This is inextricably personal. It's also worth noting that this text assumes something. It assumes that we are talking to our kids about spiritual subjects. So a couple years ago, a study came out from the Barna Research Group and showed that if you want your kids to leave the church forever, then never talk to them about their questions or doubts. Never talk about evolution, gender, racism, hell. Just make sure that they go to church and vote Republican. And they will almost certainly stop going to church and vote Democrat. I will leave it to you to decide which is worse. I have my opinions. So in summary, hold nothing back from God don't just teach it, live it. Never treat our faith as an impersonal set of beliefs. And I might add, pray. Desperately cry out to God for the things you cannot control. Lay your kids at Jesus' feet. 
Ben and Betsy on staff here at GVF, they work really hard to support parents and resource parents to these ends. If you need some help figuring out where to start with your kids, I am quite sure that they would love to help you figure that out. Wherever you're at on your journey in this, just remember, Jesus is Savior. Your parents aren't your Savior. You can't save your kids. Jesus saves You be faithful to be obedient and cling to him and trust him to do what only he can do.